Just uh, a couple of days ago, uh, one of the uh, preacher friends that I have uh, on the internet posted what he referred to as a pop quiz that I want to share with you as we begin our lesson. Uh, pop quiz goes this way, by the name of the preacher's name is Warren Berkeley. He said, Tubal Cain fires surface-to-air missiles. Most characters wear jeans and hoodies. The patriarch has tea with Anthony Hopkins in a cave. Watchers, inarticulate rock transformers with arthritis, defend against antagonists. Pregnancy test aboard vessel. Anesthetized animals sleep well. And leader wants to kill granddaughters, but the popcorn was good. What have I just returned from? And uh, if you have been watching the television or know anything about uh, uh, pop culture at all, uh, as of late, you know, he went to the movie Noah. And, uh, and the movie has just come out recently. It's titled Noah, The End of the World is Just the Beginning, and shows a picture of Russell Crowe facing uh, Tempest. I, I am absolutely sure that the, the special effects in this movie must be amazing. Uh, I remember as a small child uh, uh, watching on television the Ten Commandments, Charlton Heston uh, raising his arms up over the Red Sea and the magic of the waters uh, parting and the sea uh, uh, being on both sides as walls. And I was absolutely enthralled with that as a child. Now I realized even as a small child that there were many um, artistic licenses taken with the with the uh, the Bible text in the the Ten Commandments, and I'm sure that you've seen it as well, and are aware of those those same things, and and you might find such things somewhat objectionable, but at least the the basic spirit of uh, of the the Old Testament was followed, uh, though many of the details were were mistaken. That's not the case with this particular movie. Now, it's not normally uh, my practice to be a movie critic. I want you to know that. And, and I will confess at the very beginning that I haven't seen this movie. Uh, but I think that it is uh, seldom that, um, that such uh, an opportunity arises for Christians uh, to talk about uh, the Bible um, because of a, a cultural circumstance or or happening that, that basically raises the Bible to the, the forefront of people's minds. And uh, a Hollywood blockbuster, and I don't know how, um, how effective this is going to be. It, it costs somewhere between $160, $180 million to make it. I don't know whether it's going to actually make its money back or not. But uh, there are going to be an awful lot of people that are going to go, and they're going to watch a very well-known movie star uh, play the part of a Bible character that perhaps is familiar with most in our society. I, I'm also not aware of, of just how popular uh, or how well-known Noah is, uh, the Bible character, and what people know about the flood and what the Bible teaches in Genesis chapter 6 through 9. But I have a few things that I want to say uh, because of this opportunity I want to share with you. And so we're going to be a movie critic at least a little bit today. And, and I will admit again at the beginning that I have not watched it. And I'm not going to say whether you should or should not watch it. I'll leave that to your conscience. I think it's kind of funny that there are many preachers who went to almost the premiere, went very quickly, and then posted comments, don't go see it. They went to see it. And uh, I sometimes wonder about that. Of course, they had, I, I think, a legitimate reason uh, to look and to uh, perhaps warn about some of the 
the error that might be found in the film. But there are some things that I think might be beneficial to us in discussing today. It can be less a, a review and more perhaps a discussion of the book of Genesis, Genesis chapter 6, and kind of interweaving of what is uh, the plot of the movie with what is actually taught in Scripture to show a contrast and a comparison. I want to begin with a few introductory thoughts, some things to remember. And the first one is that, that Hollywood and, and this man, the, the man who brought this movie to the theaters, he's the one that wrote it, originated it, directed it, consider the Bible to be merely literature. Uh, I want you to understand and recognize that. It should not surprise us a bit that Hollywood would create a movie about the Bible that is not true to the original, not true to the Bible itself, because they have no respect for the Bible as God's word. It is their belief that it is merely a book. And you know how Hollywood does. They, they take a book. Uh, books are made into movies all of the time. And, and often, to the, the writer's regret who signed the, the, the contract so that he could get the money to have his book made into a movie, he regrets he did it because they take the, movie, the book and they just tear the book up and they create something entirely new. It's something that is very commonly done. People have absolutely no qualms with it. And so if you have someone who has a point of view that the Bible is not God's word, then that person certainly is not going to feel any uh, compunction with changing uh, the uh, plot of his creation uh, so that it does not coincide with what the Bible says. And so, again, it should not surprise us. I'll give you uh, just one example, uh, The Passion. Uh, of Christ. The, 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 the movie that was put out by, by Mel Gibson was one that uh, purported to be very, very um, um, much in, in keeping with what the Bible taught, uh, a faithful representation of what was found in the Bible. And some of you may have seen it. I still to this day have not seen it. I cannot bring myself to put any money in Mel Gibson's pocket. Uh, but, but I am aware of the fact through the reviews and things I've read about it that there are many uh, departures, small departures, perhaps still true to the original concept that is found in the Word of God, which is in fact what actually happened to our Lord. Uh, but nevertheless, because of, uh, of a, perhaps a, a lack of dialogue in Scripture, the adding of artistic license, those kinds of things, there are many divergences. It should not surprise us. And I, I do find it somewhat amazing that, that, uh, that there are Christians, and, and especially just individuals in general in Christendom who who, with bated breath, await the coming of this blockbuster in the hope that this one's going to be one that's going to be accurate, and they become so upset and so vocally upset and appalled at the fact that Hollywood does not uh, present a, an epic that is in actuality in keeping with what, what God's Word says. Uh, that is surprising because it is something that is going to happen Every single time. I'll just give you a quote from uh, Darren Aronofsky, who is the director of this, in a Variety interview in 2012 uh, concerning Noah, which he has wanted to put into a movie ever since he was very, very young, even as a child. He said, I don't think it's a very religious story. I think it's a great fable that's part of many different religions and spiritual practices. And of course, he does not state or think the Bible fable to be anything any more authoritative than the one that uh, um, uh, other uh, uh, Bible, uh, not excuse me, flood stories that happened in, in other cultures might be. And so this is just something that is characteristic of, of, of Hollywood in general. We want to keep that in mind so that we're not overly 
uh, surprised at least at, at what uh, kind of movie is made. Secondly, the agenda of the movie maker seldom agrees with the agenda of God. Keep that in mind. So, but 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 the book the, the the flood was about the world sinning, and and Noah is a preacher of righteousness, seeking to to save individuals, and no one was willing to listen, and God destroyed the world. And we go back and read Genesis chapters six through nine, and we see that. But that's not what this this movie's about. Um, the movie's not about that at all, which will become obvious again with a quote that we'll get from the director in just a little while. But um, but there is a different agenda in this movie than that which is found in God's Word. So it's not surprising, again, that you would see such a divergence between the plot of the movie and what the Word of God actually says. And so as a result of that, conscience will dictate whether you pay to go see it or not. I'm not going to do that, despite the fact I would really like to see those special effects. I would like to see that water just exploding from the fountains of the earth breaking up and, uh, and the flood coming upon the earth. I think they would probably do a pretty good job with those aspects of it. But the danger, and that's what I want us to understand, is that such a powerful message will be considered accurate by those who are ignorant. There are going to be people who will say, oh, that's what the story of Noah is about. Oh, or that's what the Bible says happened. And as a result of that, there are going to be individuals simply because they are ignorant of truth and because the image will be so compelling that uh, they will believe this is actually what happened. Now, the, there was a, a movie that came out a number of years ago concerning the assassination of John F. Kennedy. And uh, the director of that particular movie, he had a particular agenda, a particular view that he had concerning the part that the mafia and the CIA and all those uh, groups played. And there are a lot of people that believe that's exactly what's happened because they went and saw the movie and it made so much sense to them. It must have been that way. And there are very few that actually, who know what's going on, believe that any of that is true. So this is what happens with, with Hollywood. Hollywood's real good about making things up and putting them in such a, a provocative and such a, an amazing way that people will accept them as true. And so the thing is, this can be a great opportunity for us. And that's what I want for us to consider as we begin this particular lesson and think about these things is that we can use this as an opportunity to talk about our faith and to talk about the Bible. Again, as a result of this movie and several others that have kind of a religious bent to them coming out, the Bible is going to be at the forefront of men's minds, at least for a period of time. And so uh, we have an opportunity to discuss those things and to say, you know, it may have great special effects, but the Bible actually teaches something far different. And you have an opportunity maybe to talk about God's Word and to defend it if you're prepared to do so. And so I would encourage you, not necessarily go to the movie, but, all, but, but certainly to read Genesis chapter 6 and 9 again and make it something that is clear and fresh in your mind so that when you go to, to, to the, to the uh, office uh, tomorrow or sometime this next week and someone says, oh, have you gone to see that new movie Noah? That you'll be able to say, well, yeah, I haven't seen it, but... And talk to them a little bit about God's word. It would be a good opportunity to do so. So let's keep some things in mind. And I want to talk first of all about what the film does to the man Noah. Because there are basically two points that I want to make that I think are very uh, strong lines of divergency. A demarcation between what the Bible says and what this movie does. And again, I haven't seen the movie. But there are a number of individuals who have given reviews who have gone to see it. And these are individuals who are either Christians or, or those who are at, very, at the very least, they're sympathetic to the Bible account and believe it to be true, who have a problem with, with the way Noah is, uh, is described and characterized in the film. 
For example, one said that the leader, uh, having reference to Noah, as we alluded to earlier, that was uh, Warren Berkeley's quote, wants to kill his granddaughters. And that's one of the plots, uh, plot points in the movie. He determines uh, uh, that, that Shem's wife becomes uh, pregnant on the, on the ark and, uh, and uh, they are uh, twin girls that are born on the ark uh, right before it runs aground. And, uh, and Noah uh, takes it, uh, a, a knife in his hand and is going to kill his granddaughters because he thinks that the earth should not be repopulated. This is uh, quite a departure from, uh, from what the Bible teaches. But I want you to notice again how he's described as one who has murderous thoughts toward his own granddaughters. Uh, Noah is depicted as a demented fellow who can't figure out what God wants from him. He looks like and his family considers him to be a madman. Glenn Beck, uh, uh, who everyone is familiar, or many who are familiar with, uh, it was an interesting thing. He had, he had spoken about the movie somewhat having not seen it, and Paramount actually called him and asked him on their dime to come and to see a viewing of it before he made up his mind about the film, and he said he felt bad about talking about the film and having seen it yet, so when they said, said do it, he did, and after he came out of the film, he said, sorry, I still can't say anything good about it. But his uh, quote is that, that the, the, the movie treats a prophet of God like a lunatic. There's no redeeming value in Noah, none. He hates people. This is the way Russell Crowe plays uh, Noah in the movie. And then um, one other uh, critic of, of the movie says, did you know that Noah was really a callous, dark person? Did you know that Noah was a drunken, axe-wielding murderer? And then there were several other descriptions given of him that is very much antagonistic to what the Bible actually reveals. So what does the Bible reveal about Noah? And I think sometimes we don't emphasize this sufficiently when we look at the text. I want you to notice what is said in Genesis chapter 6 and verses 5 through 8. When the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually, that the Lord was sorry that he made man on earth, and he was grieved in his heart. So the Lord said, I will destroy man, whom I have created from the face of the earth, both man and beast, creeping thing, and birds of the air, for I am sorry that I have made them. But Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Noah found grace. Noah was a very special individual. One of the quotes from the movie, and I can't say it precisely, but I read it just the other evening as I was doing some research for this. I think his son Ham asked him the question. He said, I thought that God chose you because you were good. And Noah's answer growled out was, God chose me because I get the job done. Kind of sounds like Terminator, doesn't it? But a different view very much from what the Bible has to say about Noah. Now, now we're going to talk of some other verses that say other things about it. Well, you notice at the very beginning of that, we are told that the Lord saw that the wickedness was great in the earth. The Lord, that's the word Yahweh or Yehovah, which has reference to Jehovah God, which was the term that was used, not the generic term Elohim, but the specific term that had reference to Jehovah God of Israel. This was the God of Israel, the God of the Jews, the word Jehovah, the word Lord, as we find translated in, in our New Testament, is a word that is a very special word that is used time and again by Moses in his recounting of the events from the creation through the, the flood and, and, and all throughout the book of Genesis and, in fact, the entirety of the Pentateuch. The word Lord, Jehovah, is a very special word, not a single time. In the movie was the word God used. It was instead the creator, 
And again, perhaps this was a means of being inclusive with regard to people of all faith. But I think that it's an interesting thing that they very specifically uh, refused to utilize the word Lord as was used by Moses in his recounting in Genesis chapter 6 of the text. Look at 2 Peter chapter 2 and verses 5 and 9 with regard to the characteristics of Noah as he is described in Scripture. Having reference to the Lord's judgment of that uh, ancient people, he said he did not spare the ancient world but saved Noah, one of eight people, a preacher of righteousness. That's how he is described. Noah is a preacher of righteousness. He brought the flood on the world of the ungodly and every intent... Every thought of the the heart of man was evil continually, but Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Noah was a righteous man. And by application, as Peter is indicating what happened in the days of Noah, as he talks about the impending judgment, he says the Lord knows how to deliver the godly out of temptations and to receive the unjust under punishment. Now there's a contrast that parallels the contrast that is made between Noah who again is is portrayed as a demented murderer, an individual who is almost uh, um, uh, schizophrenic with regard to his craziness as as he tries to deal with this this, uh, uh, command of God and, and what is described in Scripture as a prophet and a preacher of righteousness in the text. There's another passage in Ezekiel, the 12th chapter, that I think is very interesting. In, in this regard, concerning the persistent ungodliness, persistent unfaithfulness of his people. Uh, the, the Lord came to Ezekiel and said, Son of man, when a land sins against me by persistent unfaithfulness, I will stretch my hand out against it. That is the inevitability of God's judgment. I will cut off its supply of bread and send famine on it and cut off man and beast from it. I want you to notice, he says, if a land persists in unfaithfulness to this extent, even if Noah... Daniel and Job were in this land of persistent unfaithfulness. He said they would deliver only themselves by their righteousness as the Lord God. In other words, I'm not going to relent concerning my judgment and the destruction of this people even if Noah, Daniel, and Job were there. I'm still going to judge them. And the only people they'd be able to save with regard to their righteousness is themselves. That's the point. But it is interesting, isn't it? That when, when God is giving Ezekiel this, this statement concerning the condemnation because of the persistent unfaithfulness of his people, that three individuals that he would mention as righteous would be Noah, Daniel, and Job. Can you imagine one man with his family in the midst of a world that is persistent in its unfaithfulness, persistent in its ungodliness, standing true to God? Was it easy? I, of course not. Um, were, there, were there times when, when, when uh, Noah in some way uh, faltered? Perhaps so. None is mentioned. All that is related to us is his righteousness, is his goodness. And as we know what righteousness and goodness is, as it is related in Scripture, the demeanor, the temperament, the type of individual who is righteous and good, we can see that the movie... And the characterization of Noah in the movie is something that is far afield from what is in actuality. So, well, the second thing, and this is the other major point that I want to make in the lesson this morning, is why it was that, that God's judgment came upon the world. Because, again, as we alluded to earlier, the agenda 
of a, of a Hollywood movie is often not what the agenda is. Now, you say, okay, uh, what's the, the Lorax? I forget now the, the name of that, the Dr. Seuss movie. And they have the Lorax. And you remember, and if you watched that movie, what message it had? It had an environmental message, didn't it? And uh, you know, all the people wanted to destroy the trees and put up fake trees. How horrible that that is. We need to be better stewards of, of the world. And then you have Wally. I like Wally, but uh, but I didn't particularly care too much for the the political message in a children's show. And again, it was an environmental message. That's a big thing in our society today, and it's one that is championed uh, by individuals in the Hollywood and among the Hollywood elite, the filmmakers. They often will put environmental messages into their movies. Well. In the film, the creator's anger, not at the sin of mankind in general, not at the violence of mankind, but rather the abuse of the earth, the abuse of creation. That's what led to the destruction. I want you to notice, again, from the director's interview, this time early on, before the, the, the movie was even in development, he had written the, the, the screenplay and wanted it to be, to be uh, made into a, a movie, and they were talking about it, and it's very early uh, iteration, and he said it's about environmental apocalypse, which is the biggest theme for me right now for what's going on in this planet. So I want you to understand again, it's his agenda. He had this idea: we need God's going to destroy the world. Why? Because man. Now you remember they didn't have industrial machines back then, but they had certain things that they could do. I mentioned Noah chastising his his son when his son was a child because he was about to reach down and and pluck a small flower because it was so pretty. And that was a terrible thing to do, to actually snuff out the life of a flower just because you as a man think that you have the, the right and the ability to do so. And he admonished his child for that. In the movie, one of the big things that is an atrocity that causes God's judgment to come upon the people is the fact that men were killing animals and they were eating their flesh. And Noah stood in contrast, the righteous man is a vegetarian, a strict vegetarian, despite the fact that as you look at the film and the settings of the film, there wasn't much vegetation around. And so it was very difficult to be a vegetarian back then. The main bad guy who is Tubal Cain in the story, well, he proves how evil he is. This is a way to say, look at this evil individual. He's making fun of those vegetarians, and while he's doing it, he bites the head off of, a, of one of the only two lizards left <laughs> on the ark. Bites into it, bites its head off, and talks about how great uh, being a carnivore is, being a, an eater of flesh. That's, that's the bad guy. And then, of course, there's also some mention of, of, uh, of strip mining and other things, those kinds of things that are going on. So you see the reason for uh, the agenda of the director, the reason for the movie and it being written. But that's, of course, not what the Bible says. In Genesis chapter 6 and verses 5 through 8, the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, that every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And it may have been in part because of an abuse of nature, but it certainly wasn't that primarily and certainly not that exclusively. People were sinning. Sexual immoralities, murder, all types of ungodliness, the inventions of man, the evil that was in the heart made it to the point where God looked at man whom he had created and relented. In other words, changed his mind, said it was not a good thing, I will rid the earth of these individuals. And it was only because Noah, as a preacher of righteousness, found grace in his eyes that man was not wholly eradicated from the earth. 
The Lord was sorry he made man on the earth. He was grieved in his heart. And that destruction came as a result of the intents of the thoughts of the heart of men were evil continually. Genesis 6, verses 11 and 12, it is referred to as the earth being corrupt before God. Earth filled with violence. God looked upon the earth. Indeed, it was corrupt for all flesh had corrupted their way on the earth. And so you see a very different agenda for God than for the God of this movie with regard to the destruction of mankind and the flood that was visited upon the earth. In Genesis chapter 8, you find the final statement that is given in the Genesis account concerning this with regard to motivation. As Noah built the altar to the Lord, he took every clean animal, every clean bird, offered burnt offerings on the altar. The Lord smelled a soothing aroma. The Lord said in his heart, I will never again curse the ground for man's sake. Although the imagination of man's heart is evil from his youth. So you'll notice that that was the reason why he first destroyed the world, but the promise was given that he would not destroy the world again for that same reason. And so... Even though we may be living in a time today where every imagination of man's heart is evil from his youth, the fact remains that God's not going to destroy the world by water again. So long as man remains, the sun will rise and the sun will set. Now, of course, we are told in 2 Peter, the third chapter, that in the long suffering of our Lord, the day of judgment, the final day, has been stayed, but the day will come in which the heavens will melt with fervent heat and the earth and the works that are in it will be burned up. And so there will be a final day of judgment. But until the world comes completely to an end, until the universe and all things temporal are completely and totally annihilated in that final day where there will be the judgment of all men, either good or evil, to heaven or hell, up until that point in time, the earth will continue. And man will continue, by the way. I think it's an interesting thing. People talk about how is the world going to an end? Are we going to have a, a comet come and hit? Will mankind become extinct as did the, the, the dinosaurs because a comet hits? Or will there be some, some type of great climate change that will lead to the extinction of mankind? No, man is going to become extinct when Jesus comes again. The world wonders when it will be. And they look for comets coming and other kinds of things. And I'm not saying that such catastrophes could not possibly happen sometime in the future. But man will persist and the world will continue to revolve until Jesus comes again. And when that is, we do not know. We do know that when it is, that will be the end of all things. Now, in 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 5, the Apostle Peter also made reference, and we've already read this text, but you'll notice the characterization, the flood would be brought on the world of the ungodly. So we find a consistency in the New Testament and Old Testament narratives concerning the purpose and the reason for these things. Okay, now, there are any number of other examples of artistic license that we could talk about and object to. For example, theistic evolution is presented at the beginning of the film. Uh, you'll remember again, as we alluded to, that there is not a reference to God, but rather a reference to the Creator. I, I think that uh, from what I was told, and I don't know if this is entirely accurate, but uh, the first words, or among the first words in the movie, in the beginning, there was nothing. You would think, it's a Bible story, it would say in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, but they don't. In the beginning, there was nothing. Methuselah, the grandfather of Noah, was what we might refer to as a witch doctor. He saw visions and 
the reference to the protagonist or the, the leader going and having tea in a cave. <laughs> uh, that's, that's Methuselah, played by Anthony Hopkins, who, who uh, gives him hallucinogenic uh, tea. And that's how Noah receives some of his visions from God. Only Shem has a wife on the ark. There seems to be an indication, perhaps, that the two uh, small... Uh, uh, little girls that are born to Shem's wife, that maybe those are the ones that were used uh, to procreate uh, with uh, Ham and Japheth uh, and replenish the earth because Noah's purpose in destroying and killing his granddaughters was so that such procreation and progenitation of the earth, progen- I'm not sure if that's a word, procreation of the earth and the replenishing of the earth, whether, whether that would happen or not. Noah was against it and thought that that uh, by, by murdering his granddaughters, that would come to an end. Perhaps the most ridiculous thing is the fallen angels that were cursed by God and God turned into large rock creatures. The reason why they, they call them like Transformers, some of you haven't seen the Transformer movies, but, but these, are, these are cars that turn into robots and airplanes that turn into robots and, and they're big uh, semi-trailers turning into robots and... Uh, and uh, that's kind of what these rock creatures apparently look like, with glowing eyes. And they were used by God to bat away all of the people that were trying to get on the ark when the water started coming down and, and spurting up. And, and that was the purpose. And apparently, from what I've been told, these fallen angels that had been cursed by God in that way, because they helped keep mankind off the ark, then later they were able to ascend into heaven and receive their reward as a result of it. And then finally, Noah threatens to kill all on the ark, including his unborn granddaughters, thus wiping out all of mankind. That's what he thought should happen. So these are things that obviously are not found in Scripture. So we have reason, I think, to object to some of these things. I wanted to give you a summary of the film that I thought was very good, scathing, funny. He said, you can hate this film without watching it for the same reason you can assume Citizen Kane is slightly superior to the need for speed without having seen either of them. Just look at the context clues. Use your judgment. Use your money on something else. Noah is a major Hollywood blockbuster made by an atheist director, best known for his previous flick where a mentally disturbed lesbian ballerina goes insane and bleeds to death on stage. Now already a critical person might be slightly concerned about his handling of the Bible considering what he just did to the ballet. I think that was pretty funny. But it is just kind of that thing. Just kind of keep in mind what we're talking about here. And, and again, as we consider these things, we can get all upset about it. And, and, and I understand being upset, understand being angry. I, I actually am as well. This is God's word that people are blaspheming against. But it's something that is very much typical. And while it's okay to be angry about it, it's okay to be upset about it, don't be surprised about it. You have no right to be surprised because... It's obvious that these kinds of things are going to happen. They've been happening for decades, and they will continue to happen till the end of time because the world does not have the respect for God's Word that we as Christians have. And so as we conclude this lesson, I know that the lesson is very different from what it normally is. The Bible account of knowing the flood was written by the Holy Spirit. Hollywood doesn't respect it. Read Genesis chapter 6 through 9. Become familiar with it if you haven't read it in a while. See what differences there are. You don't have to go to the movie. You can read about the movie to find these things out. The amazing thing about it to me, Russell Crowe was very upset about all the criticism levied uh, by individuals who haven't seen the movie. He said, go to the movie. And then 
criticize if he thinks you criticize. Well, that helps him because if I go to the movie, he makes money. And that doesn't make a lot of sense to me. But, but the fact is, uh, there is much that is said and revealed about the plots and such to where you can have some familiarity. What I've done this morning is supply some familiarity with what the film says as well as contrasting it with what God's Word says. And what we can expect is to be able to use the movie when conversations about it inevitably arise as an opportunity to share the message of God's Word with those who are lost in the world. And that's what we need to do. Just use it as an opportunity to talk about the Bible. It gives you an opportunity with people who might not be interested otherwise, but they brought it up. And it allows you to say, well, it may be an exciting movie, maybe a lot of special effects. Those rock transformers may really have been something, but none of it's found in, in God's Word. And talk a little bit about what God's Word actually says. In 1 Peter chapter 3, and verses 15 and 16, we are told, given instructions, to sanctify the Lord God in our hearts, to always be ready to give a defense to everyone who asks you a reason for the hope that is in you, with meekness and fear having a good conscience, when they defame you as evildoers, those who revile your good conduct in Christ may be ashamed. And I think that reasoned approach in dealing with these things, especially to the people who go and watch, and, and, and recognize it for what it is, an opportunity for a discourse and a dialogue about God's word, an opportunity to affirm the inspiration of the Spirit, an opportunity to, to share with them, it's an interesting story. It's a compelling story. Very different from what the, what the Hollywood says, but you want to talk about it. Can we study it together? Can we look at it? You, are you willing to entertain the possibility that maybe the, the Bible account is true? If, if, if you're not, why not? And, and maybe we can discuss the merits of the biblical account of the flood as contrasted with some of these other fables that you find in other cultures in the past. Let's talk about Bible evidences. Let's talk about the Holy Spirit. Let's talk about Jehovah God is the one true God. And it might give you an opportunity to save a soul as a result of these things. Okay, we're going to offer an invitation at this time, not knowing the hearts of any. I hope that what we've looked at has been something that was somewhat interesting, but more importantly, uh, a bit informative. So as you can make an informed decision about, number one, whether to go or not, but number two, have a knowledge of what God's Word actually says on the matter. But it is time for us to offer that invitation this morning. We don't know the hearts of any. It may be that you're here and, and need to be uh, become a child of God. You need to, to take the step today to respond in faith to that gospel call and invitation to salvation. If that is the case, we will say that if you believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of the living God today, you can be saved this day. In response of faith, if you will, stand before those assembled today and confess that Jesus Christ is the Son of the living God. If you will, turn away from the sins that you commit in your life and determine to live for Him and submit to the command to be baptized, to have your sins washed away, then you can rise and walk in a new life as a child of God and have the hope of heaven. We hope and pray that you'll take advantage of that opportunity that you have this day to do that very thing. And if we can help you or any other... To answer the invitation call, we extend it to you now. We ask that you come. While together we stand, while we sing.